This podcast is a Majestic Giraffe production. For more information and more content, visit MajesticGiraffe.com. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. are clean, the vaporizers are patched, and the speeders fueled. It's time to pick up some blue milk and power converters. You're listening to Toshi Station Radio, brought to you by the Majestic Giraffe Network. Now here are your hosts for the Snarkiest Podcast in Star Wars and Geek Culture, Brian and Nancy. Outskirts of Anchorhead and on the shores of the Great Chop Flats, you're listening to Tashi Station Radio, the bright center in the universe for all things Star Wars and geek culture. I'm your host, Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host and wife, Nancy. Hello! On today's episode, we're talking with Star Wars author Jason Fry, so we're about to get started. Sit back, grab some power converters, and enjoy the show. Uh, before we get too much further, a note from our sponsors, Tashi Station Radio is brought to you in part by you, our listeners and readers. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Tashi Station to help us keep the lights on and help us do some uh, really cool uh, future projects we've got coming down the pipe, such as the Tabletop Podcast, which uh, should be debuting a pilot episode uh, coming up in November. And we're also brought to you in part by Her Universe, flaunt your world with Star Wars. Star Trek, Marvel, Transformers, Doctor Who, and other fandom-inspired wardrobe and jewelry. Click the link on our blog to purchase awesome geek gear and keep the lights running on the podcast. And uh, Ashley previewed some new products on Instagram recently. Um, So if you decide to pick some of those up, especially during uh, Black Friday sales... Please go to our link. Yes, click the ad on the uh, on on the blog. Uh, that does help us out an awful lot. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Nancy, what is new on the blog? On the blog. The blog. Blog. Bria reviewed Darth Vader number eleven. Um, I reviewed the latest episode of Star Wars Rebels: Relics of the Old Republic. And how we do the Rebels reviews, if you're new to the blog or just haven't caught on our pattern, we rotate the reviews between uh, Brian, me, and Bria. And Saf will be joining the rotation. Ah, she will. Yes. Excellent. So we will Patch have... A few less episodes for the rest of us. Yes. So we will have... So basically we go four and then uh, go, recycle, go yeah. back around. So this was the second episode in the uh, clone the old clone arc. Um, I liked this one more than the first episode, the lost commander. So uh, check out that review and our new staff writer, new staff writer, not staff writer, although she is a staff writer, (laughs) uh, wrote a new column called shattering a fridged empire, which was an insightful commentary on fridging female characters in the star Wars universe and not necessarily what you would expect. Um, it was a nice uh, kind of follow-up to the article you wrote a little while ago. Yes, about Heir to the Jedi. So, so uh, props to Del Rey and Lucas Books and uh, Marvel. They've really upped the game there. They've done a lot. They've done really good with female characters. I'm really happy with what they've done. Both, I mean, both with with heroes and villains. You know, we've got Ray Sloan, who has become a recurring character, who's on the side of, you know, the Imperials, but... Everyone really likes her and 
hope hopefully she will stick around for a long time um and finally um i also i wrote a column on about luke skywalker and the secret ninja jedi order if you caught my appearance on the full of sith trailer council i mentioned my theory there about why i think luke is absent from the force awakens marketing um and so I decided I needed to write a blog about it. And uh, it actually got posted the same day as Chris Taylor from Mashable wrote a article of his own about why the Jedi Order needed to be destroyed and basically stay away for good. Um, mine is... Uh, Dunk from Clump Jade had posted these at the same time and said they were on opposite sides, but I think they're more kind of complementary. Yeah, I, I don't think you're as far off the mark from what Chris wrote. Well, I don't think they need i don't think the jedi need to go away forever but i do think that they need to be different than the old jedi order so i mean if luke was going to just go and resurrect the old order point by point then i would say don't bother doing that luke yeah I agree. <laughs> but um you know i do want there to be jedi or at least light side force users whether they're jedi or not um but i guess we'll see come december 17th but basically my i went through point by point of all of the new canon material featuring luke we've seen so far what we know of luke after return of the jedi based on what we've seen so far um what we can extrapolate based on what happens in jedi um and i'll come around to the argument that he has to be doing something big something important um, I can't see him just being absent because he's afraid of action. Like, and I don't know, I can't remember if I made this point in my article or not, but this is the, this is the guy who ran off to save his friends in Cloud City. I mean, this is the guy who planned, who like decided to rescue the princess when all he had to do was stay in that room and wait for Obi-Wan. Uh, he you know, walked into the Jabba's palace and rescued Han, you know, without really a good plan. <laughs> um, so basically the point is that Luke is a man of action, whether it's good action is, you know, sometimes it gets him into trouble. Sometimes it doesn't, but he succeeds in what he wants to do. And, um, when he trusts in the force, he succeeds. And, um, I just can't see him going off and being a hermit because he's scared of his power or whatever the rumors say. You know, there's rumors about what he's doing. Like, he's been scared that he just, you know, wants to go off and do his own thing. And I just, I, I can't see that based on what going we've been Going off giving. and doing his own thing can be creating this secret order, a much smaller, more nimble That's, Jedi. Yeah. I mean, I see Luke. Luke is an active character, and I feel like even if he's going off and doing his own thing and he would be doing something like this. So weirdly your theory would kind of replicate a lot of the early Bantam Jedi. Yes, it would. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> Funny that. Okay. Fixers flash the geeky things we've been up to Nancy. Um, I finished shattered empire, which you did as well. Um, I liked it. Then was kind of anticlimactic, um, mainly because it didn't really follow the previous two stories. But um, I liked it. It Luke 
was awesome in it and um i liked the end uh and um i am actually looking forward to more comics set during this time period i hope they have more of them indeed so congratulations on your super hot parents poe oh my god yes congratulations on yourself good job poe <laughs> good job poe <laughs> um and i'm a, a little over halfway done with um twilight company um i hope i will finish by next week to do my go no go paragraph um having a little bit of a hard time with it i might end up writing a column about this because it's not that i don't like the book or that it's bad and just having a hard time connecting with it and i i'm wondering if it's just because it's not my thing or because i'm so i have my head in such a journey to the force awakens place that it was kind of jarring to go back to original trilogy time yeah. period yeah i mean like and like we talked about we talk about this with jason in through the magic of time travel about the secret academy and how it actually has a tie to the force awakens that we weren't expecting and um and uh so that you know kind of made me go oh my god and like look for that connection but plus like rebels is on now so i have that connection whereas this is kind of just this would have been a better book to get while rebels was still on hiatus i think so yeah like or maybe over the summer and i mean i it's not that i don't like military sci-fi i do but i think i might just like pilots more than ground crews <laughs> also you we are on a little we, we've been reading a lot of Star Wars lately. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it's not bad. It's just like, I think I'm just in a, in a mindset for... It'd and be I, interesting if you came back and read this later. Yeah, but I also wonder, like, would I, would I want to read it if I wasn't reviewing it? And that's not... I don't... Like, people say, oh, that, that means it's not good. And, like, I don't, I don't agree with that because Star Wars is so big that... There's no way you can, I mean, you can read everything if you want to, but like there was a time period when I did not read anything about the prequels or like, because I didn't care about the prequel you, I was watching those movies. <laughs> um, I don't know. I might, so, so, I might explore it. So what you're saying is, and this could totally turn around in the second half of the book and you'd find yourself just really enjoying it and rendering the whole thing moot. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is it's possible to recognize that a book you're just not connecting with is well-written and is setting out to do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, not every, not every person is going to connect with every book. I mean, I, there are books that people love and I try to read, I read them and I'm just like, eh really you know i mean if if everyone read and like and liked every book then you know it'd be a whole lot easier to get into the writing sphere yeah <laughs> that's the whole point like and like and there are books that win like the hugo award and you know a bunch of awards and there are people who don't like them so and um let's see i also um what am i doing oh prepping for nanowrimo which it's starts on sunday time. uh we should say now that because of nano we are skipping an episode or two we're skipping two we're skipping we're two doing episodes every other in week yeah sorry about that but don't worry we're gonna give you a return of the jedi commentary track one of those weeks yeah to tide you over no we're not we're not <laughs> we're doing that at the beginning of december 
Because there was just our schedule. Oh, no, an Empire commentary yes. is going out next that's, month. Well, that's coming out this week. This, well, we're doing that this week, but it's getting yes. posted next month. Is it? Yes. It's. Are you sure? Pretty sure. It's supposed to come out this month. Didn't we do A New Hope and publish that early this month? No, we did that in September. Did we? <laughs> yes, we did. This month is five weeks long. That's, That's why. Right. Um, but we're recording this on the last day of the month. Yeah. So well, it's second to last day of the month. Yeah. So it's technically going to go out in November. I mean, it'll go out the begin end of October, beginning of November. Okay. Which is why we're doing Jedi at the beginning of December, because otherwise we would have to record way too early, and I I wanted to do it closer to the Force Awakens. Agreed. <laughs> for my own purposes. So, don't mind us listeners we're just planning on the air whatever <laughs> whatever uh as for me um i got nancy a surface no you didn't yes i did you got me a surface Mm-hmm. nancy no. is using a surface shut up she is using a surface right now instead of her macbook air she's giving me the bird would you like to explain why i'm using a surface Entirely for NaNoWriMo because the Google Drive uh, Office plugin is not OSX compatible. It's not. So see, you know, at lunch, I write at work because, you know, I need to write during NaNo at every spare moment of the day. And I'm not going to see you at lunch at all during November, am I? No. Okay. <laughs> so usually I'll write on Google Drive, you know, and just write directly in the in the docs um that way i can write at home and work but the problem is is when i get to the point where i actually combine all the chapters into one document it gets way too big to use in google docs so i have to create a word document and then i have to email them back and forth to myself or save or upload them to google drive so i can download them and then open them on my respective computers you should you should still email it back and forth to yourself because that's good versioning and backup well Yes, but I can just save as a different version on Google Drive, which is True. what I will do. Excellent. Um, you know, I mean, I did that anyway. I would save like save as this day, but um, it just it makes it a lot easier because I can download the Google Drive plugin on my computer and just open it right from there and then save right to Google Drive. And and for people who are saying, yes, I know that there are other services that you can do this on and Dropbox and all, I know that this exists, but for my purposes, Google Drive works best because I can just open Word and save it right there and not have to download anything. And also it works on both of my computers and both of my environments. I know that already. If it's I, good enough for John Scalzi, it's I don't good have to worry you. about work blocking it one day. It's there. So, so yeah. yay, yay, Google Docs. Yes, if I'm going to have an hour lunch break, I'm going to use it to write. Damn it. <laughs> also, we had an extra surface. So. <laughs> That's something you don't hear a lot. <laughs> yes, uh, we. Uh, you may remember the TSA incident with my surface. Mm. In which Nancy got harassed by TSA, uh, the surface got dropped and got broken. We sent it in a couple of weeks ago and got it repaired. Yeah. So it was much less than buying a new computer, which... You were due for. Uh, I mean, it was, I would have, you know, 
You could have wrangled another year out of your MacBook, but, but it was getting there. Plus, it's it's smaller. It's easier to carry. I can you don't have to take it, it out of your backpack at TSA. Yes, that is also very good. Good so, things yeah. all. Uh, and I got the new Surface Pro 4 keyboard, which I love. It feels I got like that the old, too. It feels like the old uh, ThinkPads I used to this use. This is the reason I actually agreed to use the Surface. Because they finally introduced a keyboard you liked. Yes. Because it actually works like an actual keyboard and not that piece of mushy crap that you had beforehand. That wasn't mushy crap. Yes, it was. All the keys were smushed together. That's not how a keyboard works. Do you remember keyboards before your last MacBook? I had a MacBook Pro. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> fine. This episode of Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by the Microsoft Shh. Surface Tablets, Ugh. the tablet that can replace your laptop. Ugh. It's so stupid. Oh, no, it's not. It's awesome. It, it's still, yeah. I mean, I'm finally getting used to the way it looks, but it doesn't look like my computer at work. Are my, am I using Windows 10? You are using Windows 10. See, that's why. We're still using Windows 7. Yes. Okay, still, we just upgraded to Windows 7 last year. Ouch. Oh, that's tough. Hey, why don't we move on to Deke's Dirt? And there's a whole lot of nothing. <sighs> yeah, um... There was a big news last week, and now there's no news, so oops. Cricket, crickets, crickets. <laughs> Which brings us right into Big's bullshit, uh, Star Wars film news. Uh, the Force Awakens trailers got a whole lot of views. A lot. And the movie sold a whole bunch of tickets. Let's see how many views they have right now. Uh, are we going off the YouTube numbers? Yes. Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> boy, the only reason you and I got tickets... Um, to that Disney event was because mm -hmm. we got in five minutes before Star Wars fans brought the internet to, to its collective needs. 49,708,035. That's right insane. Yeah. That's a, that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Lucasfilm thanked the fans uh, for their reactions. Um, and uh, one fun trend were uh, trailer mashups. Who are you? <laughs> Sorry. It started playing. I have to listen to it. I'm no one. Or are we going to listen to the whole thing now? Uh, why not? The mics can't pick that up. Whatever. It'd be a whole lot of silence. Whatever. Dead I mean, air. Well, we can talk while it's playing. <laughs> what are we talking about? The trailer! <laughs> Didn't we do a whole episode on the trailer? I'm sorry. Have you seen it too many times? Never. <laughs> Impossible. Yeah, so Lucasfilm made a nice post on SarWars.com thanking the fans for their reaction to the trailer. Um, it was pretty amazing. Um, about And also, this was really cool. They had 150 fans were invited to a section of the Great Wall of China. They lit where they lit up 500 stormtrooper figurines and four Chinese characters translated as the Force Awakens in celebration of the new trailer. That is so cool. Yeah. So, um, I don't know about you. I think the Star Wars thing might work. It might, yeah. Um, there was a bunch of cool, uh, mashup trailers and fan trailers. They, um, there was one that was an original trilogy version. Uh, oh, that using was such a good cut. Using the music and like the cuts, but original trilogy dialogue and 
Oh, it was it was really cool. And then um, also Han Solo's flashback where he when he's talking, he goes back to think to original trilogy events. And then there was a super cut of all three of the trailers uh, put together in one, which was really cool to see like what we've actually seen of footage so far. But it was kind of disconcerting because the music cuts are they're well done, but I'm so used. I have I had the trailers memorized, so it was like, wait, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> you know, like uh, I I love the Apollo 13 mashup that you linked to me. Yes. Oh, that was my favorite. So like the Apollo 13 watching the Force Awakens reaction. It was that. That was really good. And uh, has anyone done a Matthew McConaughey reaction to the new trailer? I don't know, but they should. If they haven't, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Canada will get The Force Awakens on Netflix streaming. Screw you, Andy, from Rebels Report. <laughs> Come on. Why can't we have Star Wars And people on are like, well, you're going to have it on the Blu-ray. Yes, but you can just press a button and it plays. You know what's, what it's... If you have a Chromecast, you just pick up your phone, think, I feel like Star Wars. Click, click, click click stream or you can just play it right on your computer uh-huh yeah so yeah we're jealous come on get the u.s rights i know right all right with the magic of time travel we're taking you back to yesterday <laughs> it's about your children Marty. that's all in the past now <laughs> 1.21 watts. you do a really terrible Doc Brown. I know. It, it's not one of my better impressions. <laughs> uh, we have Jason Fry on with us. and we are <laughs> Jason Fry has been a busy man this year. Uh, so we are uh, going to jump over to talk to him about his contributions to The Journey of the Force Awakens. Uh, the conclusion of... Um, I'm totally blanking. Secret Academy. Thank you. Servants of the Empire. Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> just it's been a long day. Uh, and uh, his latest installment of the Jupiter Pirates, plus a little baseball talk, uh, snuck in there for good measure because I need to live vicariously through someone who actually knows what it's like to watch a playoff team. We'll see you on the other side of the jump. Bye. So long. Hey, we're here. With Star Wars author and uh, very happy Mets fan, Jason Fry. Thanks for coming back on the show, Jason. Oh, thanks for having me. I am a happy Mets fan. It's <laughs> a, um, I don't, it's been so long, I don't quite know how to be that person. But uh, I'm enjoying finding out <laughs> at what, least the next few days. What, what's it like rooting for a team that's actually in the World Series? I've never, uh, I've never felt that for myself. <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually very funny. Um, I mean, they haven't done this since. Uh, 2000, when I mean when they lost, they haven't won since I was 17 years old. And um, you know, one thing I realized is I'm just I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hilarious. I mean, when the last time they were in the World Series and went through this this whole you know month of playoffs, I mean, I was 31, and uh, you know, I could be up freaking out till three or four in the morning every night <laughs> and burning like, you know, thousands of fear calories and, and kind of get through it. And I mean, at 46, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> 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 so I, I'm out of my, I'm out of my prime as a fan as well. 
but um but it, it's been i mean it's been a lot of fun and uh it's um you know we, we will hope for the best but whatever happens it's been a great great season mm-hmm. and that's a, a nice change i am a former new yorker so i am firmly in the camp of the mets Go Mets. And you, hey, go. We need all the help we you can we can get. And you're a Mariners fan, is that right? Yes, I am <laughs> a long suffering Mariners fan. Yeah, you know it's funny. Again, revealing my age, like I still think of them as like the new team from you know being a baseball card collector. But that's totally not true. I mean, they're uh, you know, but uh, you know, all, uh, your day will come and it will be glorious. And I'll be very happy. <laughs> What's truly terrible is we can no longer say is at least we're not the uh, Expos. That that's what hurts the most. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> oh, okay, well, first game is tomorrow, and it feels like there's has like does it usually go on this long where there's no games? I'm like, come on, let's get on with the World Series. Yeah, no, it's 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 been like waiting for the Super Bowl. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. Um, I, I got a little lucky because I was. Um, I, I was really sick, so I was able to get over that. But I was also, you know, I was actually also able to to really crank out some work, which I just kind of hadn't had any headspace for. So that the break was actually a good thing. So hopefully, it's good for the Mets. Well, that's good. And speaking of work, that's a good segue. <laughs> so you had two entries into the Journey of the Force Awakens uh, line. You had Moving Target, uh, which you co-wrote with Cecil Castellucci. And then also Weapon of a Jedi, um, which were the Luke or the Leia and Luke books, respectively. So I thought we'd start with Moving Target and just ask a few questions about the process of writing it. Mainly, I was curious as to how you and Cecil collaborated on the project and if there was like certain sections that you wrote or if it was more you just kind of wrote everything jointly. Um, this is such a wussy answer, but <laughs> collaborations are a, a funny thing. Um, they, they tend to be kind of intensely personal for writers. And so I, I kind of like to leave the curtain closed around them. Um, which is a, is, is an odd thing to say, but I, I think folks who have done it will understand. Um, the thing that I think really made the book work though, is that I, that, you know, Cecil and I, I think both had the core of the story. Uh, I think we both saw that the same way, which was this, this interesting push pull, uh, between Leia's sense of duty, which had really, you know, dominated her whole life and, you know, her sense of, of uh, essentially allowing herself to have something for herself and allowing herself to, to take that risk. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to explore with the character. Um, I mean, she's a, she's a fascinating character. If you think about it, she's literally born to this cause that um, will dominate her life. She's trained not just to be uh, royalty, but to be an incredibly young senator and to be basically a secret agent. Uh, an operative or revolutionary. And, you know, her whole life is spent that way. And then, you know, she loses nearly everything. And, you know, so she, in in um, learning to have more personal relationships, 
that means something to her, she's both taking an enormous risk because everything she cares about has been snuffed out so brutally, uh, but also kind of working against kind of everything that her um, that the cause has been pushing her towards. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to explore. It's an interesting starting point for a character, and it was a way to really, I think, get into the heart of a character who can be tricky for writers. Um, but, you know, at the same time, what I, what I think we both liked about that is in no way diminishes that, that, uh, that character that I think we all love. Um, it really kind of gets into, you know, her inner struggles and, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of bringing something new out of her while also being, you know, respectful of, um, the, the strength we've already seen in her. So that was a lot of fun to explore, I think, for both uh, uh, for Cecil and and for me. Yeah, and were there any other parts of her character that you wanted to play up that might not necessarily get attention in a lot of that? Um, yeah, one thing about it was also, I, I mean, if you think about that story, I mean, I, I think we're both proud of the fact that it's a pretty serious story. Um, mm-hmm. It feels really with some really weighty stuff about, you know, sacrifices and war and, you know, essentially using people for a larger cause, which, you know, is an uncomfortable subject for anybody. And one that, you know, was, is not the most immediately obvious fit for a kid's book, but one that I think we, we explored, I hope we explored pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in diving into the complexities about that. Um, I like doing that, but, you know, that meant you had a story that really risked being grim. And so I think something that was in both our minds was looking for w- ways to kind of um, to give the audience a little relief from that. So, you know, there are touches in there from you know, some of the, the banter with the crew, which is really fun. And then just, you know, part of of, the beach for me, any, sorry, the beach wear. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I was getting to the beach. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that banter is an essential part of uh, star Wars style. And then, you know, little stuff like, you know, Leia revealing she's the junior steeple chase champion of Alderaan. I mean, why wouldn't she, she'd probably be, you know, raised to do stuff like that. And then, yeah, indeed for, a brief scene they do done uh, beachwear to fit in, which some people just lost their minds about, which I found really entertaining. Like, you know, I, it kind of goes back to, I think, George Lucas's warning about Terminator. Like, you know, you want, some people think they want Star Wars to be like relentlessly on point and grim, et cetera, but you really don't. Yeah. It would really just, it would be too much. No, I, I, I loved that part. I thought it was hilarious. And I was mad that that wasn't the illustra- one of the illustrations we got. <laughs> well, actually, you know, it's funny. I mean, one thing we, we did do, though, is we worked fairly carefully to make sure that um, the beachwear thing would be kind of done before Phil Noto's illustration. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that would probably have been a, that probably would have been a bit much and, yeah. <laughs> and tipped it over in terms of balance. So uh, there's a lot of expanded universe fans who would like to thank you personally for uh, recanonizing General Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that was that was fun. And, and, you know, I mean, Cecil and I both brought different things to our collaboration. I mean, that was something I was able to bring um, was kind of that, that infrastructure EU um, and a, a sense of, you know, the rebellion in terms of characters and strategies that I'd explored in warfare, et cetera. So, you know, we had Kraken, uh, we had, you know, Mon Mothma talking about the Emperor's uh plans once the second Death Star is operational and you know, a bunch of uh, rebel and a bunch of rebel generals who otherwise, you know, who folks have been wondering where they fit in. Um, I mean, for me though, that gets to a good point about, you know, story, this, this new storytelling is, you know, you certainly are going to approach events and things like that a different way, but um, yeah, in terms of world building and support of the story, if you've got, say, a rebel briefing with a whole bunch of generals and admirals, um, there's really no particular reason not to use uh, these characters that have been established. So, you know, that was what um, we proposed, and some was just fine with it. So how important was it to show Leia as being more than just a sort of figurehead, but an active and important part of rebellion and military leadership? Oh, I, I think it's critical. I think it's critical because she's, um, you know, she, she is more than that. And, um, you know, I, one of the, the scenes that I think we had a lot of fun with was the scene with her uh, and, and Mon Mothma, because, I mean, Mon Mothma is someone who certainly would understand um, what Leia's, been through and will understand also, you know, things that Leia doesn't know about yet because she's still too young. So that was really fun. But, you know, at the same time, they're, they're different characters. I mean, Leia is, um, you know, Leia is, is a soldier, is, is capable, et cetera. But I mean, she's a really interesting character. Um, there've been, I mean, if you look back, particularly if you go back to include the legend stories, and there've been so many attempts to figure out kind of who she is. Like everyone mm -hmm. understands that, you know, she's, she's the farthest thing you can imagine from the damsel in distress, but you know, who is she? Does she become a Jedi? Is she an X-wing pilot? Is she a commando? You know, that's a really interesting thing to try to get your, to try to get a handle on. And, you know, one of the things I hope moving targets as well is that, you know, is that she's a leader. She's able to take groups of people uh, who may not see eye to eye and get them and, you know, get them moving in the right direction, whether she's cajoling them or convincing them or sometimes just ordering. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was something that was fun. Um, another thing that was fun, and it was also thinking about the, the force. You know, what is, is Leia's sense of the force? Um, to be honest, I never really bought her as a lightsaber duelist or a, you know, someone levitating objects that just didn't never felt right to me storytelling wise. Um, but you know, in moving target, you know, she has feelings, she has, you know, she has uh, bits of intuition, et cetera, that when you know her heritage, you, I think you look at it a little differently. So, the epilogue for Moving Target, and we won't ask you specific questions because we know you won't be able to answer them, <laughs> but it has given us the, some of the most clues as for what will, we will see in The Force Awakens, especially that was our first glimpse of General Organa, which 
people lost their minds over. <laughs> and it was fantastic because I loved watching everyone freak out and saying, but is, it, is she not married to Han? I'm like, oh, well, you know, women can keep their own name. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought that was very good because it got people thinking. But um, also, it just seemed like it was a very logical progression for Leia, especially based on the story that you were telling. Um, you know, that she was one of she was working with the rebellion leaders, like you just said, and now she's a general in this resistance. Um, it just seemed like it fit very well for what we might see Leia doing in 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll have to wait till December 18th or 19th or whenever it is uh, to really be able to double down on this statement. But I feel <laughs> like we were led and helped out very ably by Lucasfilm and Disney there mm-hmm. in terms of, of being told what we needed to know and in terms of of crafting those kind of bookend stories um, to give you a, a glimpse but not show too much. Um, my hope is that, you know, when you've seen The Force Awakens, you'll go back to, um, you know, you'll go back to, to Moving Target and you'll go back to the, the, the prologue and the epilogue and you know, what that book talks about in terms of, of, of Leia trying to navigate beauty against uh, having something for herself. I, I, my hope is that that'll be, you know, kind of an, an, an even more interesting question um, when, you be, uh, when you're able to look at, at more of her life. But, um, you know, the interesting thing about all this is that, um, you know, we all had to know a certain amount to do our jobs, but mm-hmm. you know, we didn't. We don't know everything. Yeah. Even, <laughs> you know, most things. So it's a little bit like ballistics. You're sort of kind of firing the missile off, and you know, hoping it comes down in the right place. So, uh, I, part of me will have my, you know, will have my fingers crossed until uh, I can see the new movie. Yeah, and um, I. <laughs> I when I finished uh, the epilogue, I actually because um, I had read it before Brian and I, I I shoved it in his face and said, "You have to read this right now." And he was like, "But I haven't <laughs> read the other book." I'm like, "I don't care. Just read it right now." <laughs> and like it's it's three pages, and then he was like, "Oh," and I said, "Uh huh." <laughs> so yeah, then we had to theorize for about ten minutes. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that, that's great, because that's exactly <laughs> what we were hoping to do with these books. I mean, that was part of the process that was so much fun, is we are kind of, you know, work together to craft puzzle pieces, as we like to call them, uh, for the upcoming movie. But, you know, dropping them down and around stories that, that hopefully stood on their own. So yeah. I, I'm, it's great that you had that reaction. And, um, and you know, hopefully, uh, if we did our jobs right, you, you, you know, it, Everybody will, on December 18th, they'll be hugely excited and they'll, you know, see the movie two, three times and then want to go back to those books and mm-hmm. see what else they can kind of ferret out of them, yeah. which I think is, is a really fun experience as a writer, certainly, but, but hopefully also as a reader. So we're going to move on now to uh, The Weapon of a Jedi. And I'm just going to apologize right now for the gushing that will commence about this book. <laughs> No need to apologize for gushing. I'm always in the mood. 
Uh, yeah. Um, so this was my favorite book about Luke that I've ever read. And I want to give you a hug for writing it because it was amazing oh. and I loved it. <laughs> oh, awesome. That makes me really, really happy. Yeah. So I know you've said before um, that you were more of a Han fan, but you know, I have to know, did Luke win you over when you were writing this book? Uh, yeah. Um, it was interesting. I felt, you know, if Leia is an elusive character, then, um, you know, Luke, uh, is, is, is as elusive as she is and maybe more so. Um, you know, the, and so I was very conscious of that when I, um, when I drew the assignment for Weapon of a Jedi and I thought to myself, you know, I've never really connected with this character. I never really felt like I identified with this character, got this character. And so the first thing I thought is, well, you know, that can't be true when you get down to writing this book. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it'll show. And um, so that was kind of my own little author's journey to kind of figure out Luke and see if I could find that connection. Which is you know, it's, it's kind of a, a funny thing to do, you know, <laughs> nearly 40 years after first seeing Star Wars. Um, so there was two things that did it. Um, one was just uh, going back to the classic trilogy and watching uh, the movies in a way I never had, really focusing on the character, uh, how he, not not just how he acts, but how he reacts. And, you know, part of that is, uh, the work of Mark Hamill, which is really, really underrated, uh, particularly in Empire. Uh, and part of it is, is the work of George Lucas himself. So, you know, watching that was very helpful. Um, and then uh, it was actually, it was also a comment on the, um, the lit boards on the Force.net was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, someone wrote uh, that they described Luke as a gentle hero. I was kind of intrigued by that. I was like, hmm, what does that mean? And it, it talked about, you know, the way he kind of reacts to things and doesn't, you know, isn't your typical action hero. And I started thinking about that, and I went back, and um, a couple of things kind of fell in place. One was um, a story that Mark Hamill loves to tell uh, about on A New Hope when they've they tracked down R2-D2, and... Um, you know, C-3PO is all full of bluster about, you know, Luke should, Master Luke should blast you in a million pieces. And, uh, and Hamill goes, no, it's all right. And that's it. Yeah. And um, Hamill tells a story that, you know, he played that scene kind of much more the way Anthony Daniels played it, like he was mad. And, and Lucas immediately said, cut. And he said, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and Hamill was like, what? And so Hamill played it just, to his mind, just comically understated so that Lucas would see how wrong it was and then they could, you know, have a conversation and do it again. And so um, he did what you see on screen and Lucas said, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And then Harold was like, oh, I get it. And he got that, oh, first of all, I'm kind of playing George Lucas uh, for one thing. And then, but then he got, you know, that that was kind of the understated approach to the character, which I found really interesting. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I started thinking about the classic trilogy and, you know, in A New Hope, Luke destroys the Death Star, I mean, by letting go. He lets go, he lets the Force do it. Um, in Return of the Jedi, I mean, he, he, I mean, he hacks off Darth Vader's hand, but that's actually not winning. That's, that's the Emperor winning. 
Yeah. Um, he actually wins that by throwing his lightsaber away and just appealing to his father. And so what do you have in between? You have Empire, where he's most like kind of the conventional action hero. He, you know, doesn't listen to the mentors. He runs off and, you know, he runs off to rescue his friends who wind up coming back to rescue him. And it's a total disaster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once that kind of snapped into place, I was like, ah, I get this character. And then, you know, from there, it was really kind of taking on the force and thinking about, you know, what, from the little he learned from from Obi-Wan Kenobi, what does he know about the Force? What does he have to learn um, getting him from the character we see in Episode 4 to the character we see in Episode 5? What would he plausibly learn? But then, even more interestingly, what mistakes would he plausibly make? And then, you know, once I had those two things, I had Weapon of a Jedi. And then, um, you know, was able to get to work and emerge really, you know, having that connection to a character that I really didn't have before and really grateful for it. So the scene with Luke and Wedge in a dogfight might have been both of our favorites in the book. And we definitely appreciate you showing Luke as a pilot, not just a Jedi in training. Um, Did you want to play up that there were really two sides to his character there? Yeah, um, and you know, this is a for for budding writers out there. This is that you, you're bringing up that scene is a great lesson because that's not how I wanted to do it originally. Um, the I wanted to begin that story with Luke is on um, Giju, mm-hmm. the planet of the big whale-headed herglet guys, <laughs> and there's this like, yeah, there's there's this um, secret rebel meeting that gets you know, broken up and he, you know, flees on speeder bike and stuff like that and, um, et cetera. And, um, Mike Seguane, uh, my, my editor, um, waved me off that path and he wanted to see a dogfight and he wanted to see, you know, Luke as a pilot right off. And he felt that was a way, you know, to get some action in the front of the book and, and get us kind of right in the, um, you know, thinking about, uh, the way we felt uh, in the movie. And he was right about all that, but he was also right about something even more important, um, which was that, you know, part of what's at work in Weapon of a Jedi is Luke trying to figure out who he is. Is he, you know, this ace star pilot, this rebel hero, his responsibility is there. But, you know, at the same time, he's, you know, the son of a Jedi Knight, and he's possibly the last of the Jedi. And... Uh, restoring all that has fallen to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very difficult to do both those things. So he has to pick. So, you know, Mike's suggestion was right, both in terms of, you know, fun and action, but it also um, was absolutely right for zeroing in on those differences and really getting the focus of the choice. So, yeah, writers, you, you need editors and listen to <laughs> your editor. It's very important. I'm very, I'm really grateful uh, to Mike for that. Yeah. It really made the book come into focus a lot more quickly. And especially the that Wedge was there. And because I feel like that relationship is really, even even in Legends, it was very underplayed. And I, I love that you see them being friends and dogfighting. And that line that he says to Wedge about 
the force almost being as good as having wedge at my back. I like I was reading that at work and I had to cover my mouth to to muffle the squeaks that were that I was doing because <laughs> I was just oh I, I think I said oh come on this is just too too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know I think that's one reason we loved the um the the Mike Stackpole and Aaron Alston book so much. I mm-hmm. mean. You know, Wed is an Wed is an extraordinary character and a great hero in its own right. I mean, you know, it's not his fault he can't levitate objects. He's pretty <laughs> remarkable. So, um, yeah, so it was a ton of fun getting to um, getting to have him flying, you know, wingtip to wingtip with uh, Luke Skywalker and vice versa. That was great. That was so good. <laughs> so the training stuff I also really liked, and it reminded me a lot of um, the Dagobah scenes, obviously. But of other um, legend sources where you see Luke train as a Jedi, what were some of the inspirations that you took to write these four scenes? Because they can they can get very bland if you don't write them correctly and delve into what Luke is thinking about all of it rather than just, okay, learning about the Force. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, I thought about that a lot. I thought... You know, I don't really, I don't really have too many things at my disposal. I have a little telekinesis and remotes, mm-hmm. so you know, I knew to make the the kind of arc of the training believable, that had to go on for a while. So that was that was actually a big challenge. Like, how can I make that progression interesting, given that I don't have that many elements to play with? Um, the um, but you know, in terms of that, again, it really goes back to Lucasfilm and Disney and um, being really helpful. And this is something I think, you know, for folks who are still, um, you know, who are still kind of uh, down in the mouth about the, the Legends thing, which I, which I totally get, by the way. Um, this is something they might find uh, kind of comforting, or at least I, I think so, that, you know, the from the very beginning with Weapon of the Jedi, one thing they wanted me to do was go back to the Brian Daly radio drama in terms of looking at other pieces of Luke's training and also look at some of the um, the deleted scenes or originally scripted scenes from Empire. Um, you know, they're originally scripted scenes. I think you can see them in the Marvel, the old Marvel adaptation mm-hmm. of Luke, um, you know, uh, dueling with remotes or, you know, cutting um, bars thrown into the air in, in multiple... You know, in the chunks. And yeah, that's like one that. of those deleted scenes from the Blu-ray. Yeah. So we went back to... Uh, oh, is it? I didn't yeah. realize it was actually a deleted scene. Yep, it is. <laughs> yeah, so we went back to that. and um, But that wasn't my invention. I mean, they steered me to that material and thought it would be fun to include, um, as well as something you know, being being true to what had come before. And so that was great. And I thought that, I thought that worked out pretty well. <laughs> So we got another tie-in with The Force Awakens in this story uh, in the guise of uh, Scavenger Sarko Plank. Um, was he always a part of uh, of the framing from the beginning, or was that a later inclusion that the story group uh, asked you to put in? Uh, the idea of the adversary being someone we would see in The Force Awakens was absolutely there from the beginning, yes. Um, there was some... Uh, the interesting thing for me was that the, you know, the, the art reference, et cetera, actually came fairly late in the game. And, um, 
I knew that was going to happen, so that was that was fine with me. But I wound up when well, I first wrote Sarko as a kind of um, hard scrabble uh, Deveronian, uh. um, which I knew was just kind of a placeholder. I knew that would get subbed out, but I found I couldn't. I found I, I couldn't just kind of leave a blank there. It didn't work uh, for the dialogue and, and what Luke sees and reacts to. So I, I really, you know, in an interesting way, I had to create this character knowing that I was going to uncreate him in some ways. So then I, you know, I went back through once we had settled on uh, the art reference, et cetera, um, to make him into uh, the Starco that is a puzzle piece. So yeah, that was an interesting process, but also, also pretty fun. And so, like um, all the all the three young reader books have a sort of an epilogue and a prologue, which are you know framing stories. Oops, sorry, start that again, Nancy. I had your line. Did you by mute mistake. me? <laughs> I see how you feel about me talking, Brian. <laughs> so. Um, in all of the young reader books, there are a prologue and epilogue where they kind of go into the Force Awakens era with the character. But the interesting part about Weapon of a Jedi is that Luke is not in the framing stories exactly. Um, rather, it's C-3PO telling this story to an X-Wing pilot named Jessica Pava. And I... Um, I think she's modeled after me. You can deny this if you want to. <laughs> but I was like, oh, she's a Luke fangirl. That's me. <laughs> but I also liked that she was a named female X-Wing pilot because we finally have one that's canon. And hopefully we'll see her on screen and that would be really awesome. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was. Interesting. Um, <laughs> it's a Luke prologue epilogue uh, without Luke. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll agree with you that it's interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, w what I will reveal is that I don't, I know that it's interesting, but I, I don't, I don't really know why it's interesting. Yeah. I'll be as curious as, as anyone else uh, to get some answers to that one. Yeah. So what kind of notes did they, did they give you anything as far as, what they wanted to convey in the the, the epilogue, because I would imagine like the ones for Leia was a lot more thorough as far as what what you want to convey about her. But you know, with how secretive they're being about Luke, they really wasn't much they could tell. Yeah, um, no, that that was interesting, and it, it gets back to my earlier comment that this is a little bit like ballistics, like. Mm -hmm. From what I know, I feel like um, we as authors were, were um, everybody was very helpful and, um, you know, we were told what we needed to know and the, the underlying plan, such as I can discern it, uh, seems like it's really sound and really smart. But, you know, <laughs> I really want to get to December 18th and be like, yeah, I was right. That, that was totally uh, on the mark. Um, I don't have any doubt that it will be, but I, you know, I still like to kind of check that box. Yeah. Um, no, it was it was interesting. Um, it was kind of a mix, also, uh, depending on the project. Of you know, some in some cases because you know I've had a couple of different projects that touch on in a movie, and in some cases it's kind of you have 
blank spaces and I would, would go to them and say, hey, I need X, Y, Z. And then information would come back. And other times, you know, I whether it was because of time constraints or, you know, what the narrative demanded, I would just write it the way I thought it uh, worked and then send it off and then, you know, let them dial things back or, or wave me off. Um, so, you know, so that was kind of, it was kind of an interesting combination of, uh, figuring out how to get there. But, um, you know, it, it's funny though, like, um, I'm actually kind of grateful because I mean, one of, I, I tell us to kids all the time in school, visits, but you know, that you, you think it's awesome to know what's coming, whether it's in. Uh, movies or or the Clone Wars or Rebels or anything else, but it's really not nearly as much fun as you think because <laughs> you don't have anybody you can talk about it with, yeah. and so you wind up just kind of you know just kind of shifting from foot to foot unhappily, you know, waiting for for everybody else to be in on it so you can you can talk about these things, and then you know when that finally happens, you know, often it's stuff you knew eight months ago, and you wind up feeling kind of doubly left out in a weird way. Um, but one thing I'm very happy about is that, you know, at least as of the time we're talking, I don't know everything. And, you know, that's kind of great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of great to know I'll get to you know, sit there with my my Jordan almonds and my Coke and, and um, not know everything and be surprised as well. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think every uh, author and editor we've talked to so far shares those sentiments with you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, it's it's the nature of the rodeo, and you know, you know that. And um, but still, you know, I mean, I I've never met a Star Wars author, illustrator, or anything else who doesn't have a whole lot of fan in them. And uh, you know, that uh, the the ability to have that have that fan in you still have something to, you know, look forward to and be you know be gate mouthed about uh, is really fun, and I'm really happy about it. So I find it super hopeful that 3PO says Luke fulfilled his promise to return to Deveron. Um, if we lobby Disney and Lucas books hard enough and they say yes, would you write that story? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course I would. Um, I'm a member of Team Luke now. It'd be it'd yeah. more fun to do that. We'll give you an honorary um, sash and banner. <laughs> yeah, we, or my, uh, yeah, the, the pledge pen or whatever we get. Um no, it's funny though. Like um, whether it's that or or servants of the empire or other stuff, like it's it's been very interesting watching readers react to uh, loose ends. Mm-hmm. And um, without being specific, some of the loose ends in those stories are loose ends because you know it was it was part of the larger plan to leave them loose. And you know other loose ends in those two series are there because. You know, as a as a writer, it's always fun to leave things not completely wrapped up in case there are other stories you want to tell. So yeah. I'm not going to tell you which is which, but uh, <laughs> there's, there's some from column A and some from column B. Well, that segues into Servants of the Empire and specifically Secret Academy. Um, first of all, okay, um, yeah, we will be spoiling it people i think they know that when we interview people we spoil everything but we would like to thank you for not killing mary (laughs) and any of the other characters um because we are very worried about mary's fates (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's an interesting thing about being an author. I mean, I will, I'll, I'll kill any and all characters uh, in pursuit of the right story. But um, yeah, I was, I'm fond of Mary myself, and I was, I was glad that the story uh, didn't dictate. Yeah. Um, and our friend Jay from 1138 wants to know, Mary Spanjoff, best or best ever? <laughs> I don't know. It, it's Star Wars. There's, 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 a lot of, there's a lot of people ahead of Mary in line for best ever. So all of the characters in the series have gone through an awful lot. Um, I read in another interview, uh, you had the scene in the tower mapped out early on, um, was it always uh, your intention to have Zare captured and put on trial? Yes. Um, yeah, I was working to that from the very beginning. Um, as far back as, as the first book, um, I wanted that, that moment, which I described as a combination of invasion of the body snatchers and the two towers, yeah. where you know Zare gets in. And there's the last person in the world he expects to see and the worst person for him to possibly see. And, you know, the jig is up. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. Um, the thing that was funny is that I intended for that to be the last page of Imperial Justice. Um, that would have been mean. <laughs> and that would have been the evilest cliffhanger I've, I've ever thought of. Um, but it, it didn't work out. I had um, Imperial Justice, the third book, is just a really weird book. And um, I wound up, there was just, if I was going to do that, I had way too much story in Imperial Justice and then, like, just way not enough in uh, Secret Academy. So I, I couldn't do it that way. So what I hit upon instead was uh, telling Secret Academy uh, first from Zare's point of view and then from Mary's and then sticking them together. Um, which actually started out as this kind of you know lame wish fulfillment on my part to try to preserve that cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. But I think it turned out to be a good idea because it enforced um, the sense that they're isolated from each other and kind of misunderstanding each other. So it was kind of a happy accident, which is, is cool. Sometimes these things happen. Yeah, and I thought it was neat because there were some instances where one of the characters knew something that the other didn't. Like Mary, Mary found out something about Zare, and you hadn't actually gotten to that part yet, so it kind of created more tension. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I had to keep all that stuff straight. Yeah, <laughs> I hope I did, but it was fun. Um, but yeah, that was there uh, from the beginning, and in fact, um, I forget what book it's in, but, but Mary discovers the program uh, that Beck winds up enrolled with. Mm -hmm. And she actually, she doesn't tell there. I don't remember if she forgets or there's just too much going on, but um, I left that in there deliberately. I like, I like making things uh, kind of messy. Like one of the things about fiction that kind of annoys me is that everybody, everything is kind of a machine with all these moving parts that fit together. And you know, in a certain way, that's how storytelling works, and you just have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But I, I like trying to make things a little messy. Like, you know, people forget stuff. People make, um, you know, people make mistakes because we all do, and it can change things. We all know that. Yeah. 
So what were uh, some of your uh, other favorite scenes to write or uh, any other or any minor characters that you uh, had a blast writing? Um, the, I really, I was really excited about, uh, the trial scene. Um, I thought, I mean, I arranged the story so that Zara could essentially give a speech mm-hmm. and that that speech would be really an indictment of the empire that hopefully brought all the strands of the series together mm-hmm. and delivered them you know, kind of in, in one punch. And, you know, the, so the, the idea there was to kind of structure the story so that wouldn't seem like he was making a speech when people wouldn't make one. Um, so that was fun to do as well as, you know, bringing in some, um, legends and real world military stuff. Like the scene of, of Han getting drummed out of Imperial service is, is very similar to that in terms of what happens to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun. Um, the, uh, the scene on the beach where the, the nerf gets devoured was another really fun one. Um, that's actually an homage to one of my favorite science fiction writers, Jack Vance, um, has a, a very similar monster on a beach in a, in one of his novels. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. And I, I just thought it was so cool. I was like, I was like, huh, is there some, is there some role a PC like that can play in this story? That'd be fun. Um, I also, in Secret Academy, I really liked going to, uh, Searpar, the heavy gravity planet. Uh-huh. Um, this goes back to Jack Vance again, too. Like, I really wanted to get a sense of um, a planet that wasn't just the same, but with different vegetation. Like, I wanted the light to be different. I wanted there to be a sense of what it means for the gravity to be different. Um, and really kind of push that a little without getting too uh, too far away from space fantasy and into sci-fi. But, you know, there, there was a, a lot of that stuff was... Uh, it was just fun to do. Okay. So um, we have to ask you about uh, Commandant Hux and his dastardly plan. Uh, so we will not activate your spoiler implant, but I have to ask, where did the idea to use Hux came come from? If you can, if you can answer that question. Um, it was uh, it was a collaboration. We'll, we'll leave it at that until <laughs> and then we can talk a little more about it. But cool. it was um, it was interesting. It was a, a bit of an ad lib, which was which was kind of cool. Yeah, I um, I know that when I got to that part and uh, they said you know salute Commandant Hux, I I think I sat up a little straighter and went huh? <laughs> and then especially the description of him is, you know, very obviously it's not just a, you know, oh, yeah, same name. It's it's very obviously a uh, familial relation, uh, unknown right now. But I have I have I have my suspicions. But um, I, I really liked that because it's it's very much playing into the whole idea that everything is connected and you never know where a little hint might make come about. I definitely yeah. was not expecting it in a book, a tie into rebels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, it, uh, but I think I've said this somewhere else too. That's one of the things that's really fun about, uh, about this era is there's, there's kind of uh planning of seeds and working forward. 
mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, and a lot of it, frankly, I'm not aware of what the plans are. Um, I'll, you know, I'll get, I'll get notes on manuscripts, not just warning me away from stuff, but suggesting things. And, um, you know, sometimes, and sometimes frequently, in fact, I don't know why that's being suggested, but I'm of course happy to, to, um, you know, to make it work. So, mm-hmm. you know, what that says to me is that, you know, as we go forward, as we tell, uh, new Star Wars stories that, you know, a lot of those seeds being planted are going to, you know, are going to come up out of the ground and hopefully there'll be all sorts of, uh, cool connections, including ones that, you know, that I have no idea about myself. And, you know, I think that's just, that's just really exciting, both as a writer and as a fan. So I'm, I'm excited to see how it works out. So delving into a little bit about his plan, um, Right. You know, when this story takes place, you know, Palpatine is still alive. The Empire is still, you know, controlling the galaxy. Um, So I was reading the scene where he is, you know, kind of explaining everything and monologuing about what he wants to do and, you know, create these loyal soldiers from birth. And I'm thinking, that sounds like a really good idea and um, a good plan. But I have to wonder that uh, Palpatine might not like it very much if he were to find out about it. Um, And I just was, you know, I, I think it's really interesting to think about, like, people who are loyal to the Empire, but their plans might not be very loyal to Palpatine. Yeah, I, I thought of it more. Um, this is something that kind of came in and out of focus in Legends, but I thought always fit really well with what you'd get if you had a, a Sith Lord who's also, you know, basically an administrator. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the idea that that the Empire is, is very Darwinian and that, um, you know, Palpatine... Uh, deliberately sets up these kind of conflicting areas of control, uh, et cetera, and really pits kind of worthy servants and ministers, et cetera, against each other. Um, I, I think that that gets to, first of all, it keeps all your internal enemies uh, off balance, but it also gets back to that, that Sith philosophy of, you know, the weak get revealed and destroyed and the strong, uh, and the strong prosper. Um, so, I mean, what I really had was, was that in mind that, you know, this doesn't necessarily, not everything in the empire has to be one, you know, perfect plan that fits together. It's also kind of, you know, there are all sorts of experiments where, you know, Palpatine is, is eager to see, you know, which subordinate, which promising subordinate bests another one. Um, so I don't know, that was fun to play with. So, uh, again, no spoilers, but how much did you grin when you heard Finn say in the trailer, I was raised to do one thing? <laughs> no spoilers, as you say. <laughs> I grinned, I'll say that. <laughs> and then I, I think I tweeted, everyone read The Secret Academy now. <laughs> um, one of the things I love about the series and all of your other books is that they're it's real it's great for all ages but since it's targeted to kids it explore it explores some subjects that they might not get in other fiction that they read you know it's it's you're hard pressed to think about other series where they're learning about like fascism and totalitarianism and honor and what it makes you know what makes someone rebel 
So uh, what lessons do you hope that kids come away with when they're reading this series? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like a lot of that was kind of unconscious in writing the series and it more kind of came out of, um, who I knew Zare would be, what his background was and and where I knew he'd, he'd wind up. So you kind of think about what would shape him, uh, and what challenges would he face? Um, I remember, you know, as a as a kid, I really liked books that didn't talk down to me, uh, that, that treated me like anybody else and gave me credit, you know, for being able to wrestle uh, with things um, without being being preached at. And I mean, I, I think kids just can sense that immediately, and they they stop reading because you know they 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 get enough of that in their lives without it uh, when they're picking up a book. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, I kind of, as I encountered those themes, you know, I, I explored them and had, you know, and I had fun with them and hopefully delivered something for kids to get. But, you know, I think if I'd set out to, you know, really kind of put those front and center that the book probably wouldn't have worked. Um, I think that that stuff tends to work better um, when it's kind of a, I don't know, the, the subconscious working, or not the subconscious, when you're working a couple levels below the writing, thinking mm-hmm. about that. Um, one exception that was interesting was the, you know, the, the theme in the first book uh, with the, the athletic director and um, the alien species and things like that. Um, you know, that kind of, that wasn't conscious either. Like the starting point was I wanted to do kind of Friday Night Lights, uh, Star Wars. <laughs> and I wanted to do, you know, I thought it was all and it's a farm world. And I thought, you know, let's, let's do kind of high school football yeah. uh, on a Star Wars farm world and see what happens. And, you know, because of who there was, you know, it made, it didn't make sense for him to be a minor member of the team. Like you wanted him to be essentially the quarterback. So that sort of happened naturally. But then, um, you know, when I was a kid watching football, um, there was still this this idea that was this repellent idea that was far more widespread than it should have been um, that that um, black athletes couldn't be quarterbacks. Um, you saw that uh, Al Campanis famously said it on, on Nightline, you know, that they lacked the capabilities or some awful phrase like that. And, you know, I mean, this wasn't a million years ago. This was the late 80s when, mm. you know, people still believed this. So, you know, I hadn't intended to do that. And, you know, I think it's it's dangerous drawing parallels between, you know, the fact that, that Zare has brown skin and anything in our world because that, you know, there's not a direct match there in Star Wars. But I was exploring that theme anyway, and suddenly I was like, well, wow, you know, there is a black quarterback and here it is. And so, you know, that was actually, that was actually kind of a fun FU to, um, the things I remembered as a kid being appalled by and, you know, it was right there. So I went for it and that was, that was fun to explore. So uh, moving on to the Jupiter pirates, um, 
just like Zara, uh, Taika was learning a lot of hard lessons in this series. Um, in Curse of the Iris, he found out that his uh, family history isn't quite as wonderful as uh, he thought it was. And he's starting to doubt whether he wants to be part of that family tradition. Um, I, I think there's a lot of kids and adults who might be able to relate to that feeling. Yeah, um, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I think you know that was something I was interested in, in the beginning from Jupiter Pirates. You're not the same person at 12 as you are at 14, or and certainly not a, at 18. And so, in addition to kind of the, the sibling rivalry in the series, I thought that was something that would be uh, very interesting to explore. I mean, what happens when you're born to something? Um, you're born to something on one hand and then find out that maybe it's not for you. And then at the same time, you know, you're born desperately trying to measure up to parents and grandparents and people you essentially ideal, idolize. And as you get older, you discover they're not perfect. Or, you know, in the case of, of Tycho's family, you discover some of them are really, really far from perfect. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought that was a more interesting uh, storytelling engine, if you will, than uh, simply a, uh, a sibling competition for a prize. So that, that's pretty fun, too. Yeah. Um, so The Rise of Earth is the third book, and it will come out next year, correct? Yeah, in June. Okay. Um, is Can you give us a little hint of what we might see in that book? Um, I know I particularly am really interested to learn more about uh, – the parents, because I I feel like that they have a story there that we haven't learned yet, and I real I'm really looking forward to seeing more about that. Yeah, um, what you'll see is um, is you know Tycho has, has uh, you know Tycho has won some victories while while also burdening him, himself with some secrets that are so far his alone, um, but you know, you'll start to see that play out with the rest of the family mm -hmm. that, you know, Carlo, who's been kind of the front runner, uh, for the, the captain's chair of the shadow comet, you know, how does he react when suddenly that status, uh, seems to be in doubt? Uh, you know, Yana, who has her own opinions about the, the worthiness of this goal, um, you know, she's now kind of stuck between, um, a brother who's had some successes and an older brother who's everybody has, has thought will be the next captain. And she increasingly, you know, feels like her mother disagrees with everything she does. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how does she react to that? And then the added twist in there is that you'll see, uh, the rise of earth refers to earth starts, um, sending its own privateers, uh, into the fray. Mm -hmm. which is a, a, a dangerous escalation of the um, the kind of Cold War between Jupiter and Earth. And so when the Jovian Union reacts to that, they basically broaden the ranks of privateers and include some some uh, some people who who uh, have lived a little too far outside the law for anyone to be comfortable with before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's another ingredient that makes the kids and everybody else think about pirates and privateers and what side what side of that do they want to be on and you know what happens when that line gets blurred or or even erased 
So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it actually, it reminds me, it's kind of the Jupiter Pirates version of Imperial Justice. Like, there was, <laughs> oh. you know, it's, it's kind of a middle book, and, and I found myself in deep waters, but you know, I had fun exploring them, and I, I hope readers will, too. And how but, many... Uh, Sorry, go ahead. And how many books does the will the Jupiter Pirates uh, make up? Do you think, or do you have a do five? You have a point? Five, okay. Yeah, it'll be five cool. and uh, five um, with some short stories here or there. Uh, the previous books will come out in December. Uh, Rise of, of Earth, you'll have to wait till June. But um, I am aiming to have a, a uh, Jupiter Pirate short story uh, out there on the website in December. Uh, for people to enjoy. It'll be called uh, The Trouble with Crimps and uh, <laughs> features um, features Yana being Yana, which makes me happy to write. Nice. Hopefully it makes people happy I think, to read. I feel like Yana and Mary would, would be friends. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. They They really would. I can't figure out if they would detest each other or if they would get along really well. Not Sure I feel like if they but, had a uh, if they had a mutual enemy, they'd probably work together to defeat them pretty well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, they're um, yeah, they're, they're both really fun characters. It uh, it um, it makes me really really happy to to write them, whatever adventures may be in the cards. Cool. So you have uh, several projects coming up that you can tell us about and others that you can't. Uh, the ones that you can tell us about, uh, if you could let us know what we, when we should look for those on our bookseller of choice. Um, yeah, the next thing is um, I do have two projects connected to a certain movie uh, that are coming out. <laughs> Uh, December 18th. So obviously those would be a lot of fun. Oh man, you've um, got that Alvin and the Chipmunks tie-in. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so th th that'll be a lot of fun. I just think, um, you know, it's, it's, this just is, it's so interesting as a Star Wars fan because, I mean, I read the, the Empire Strikes Back novelization like three weeks before the movie and, you know, it ruined everything, of course. And, uh, you know, even when I tried to be spoiler conscious, like I read all the cross section books before the film, <laughs> like that. So I think it's uh, I think it's it's really great that all that stuff comes out uh, day and day. It's yeah, just, even the soundtrack. You know, any, anything to preserve all the surprise and all the fun. I think that's awesome. Yeah, even the soundtrack. Cause... Yeah, yeah. No. Um, yeah, we're for Phantom Menace. I tried to stay spoiler free, and then. <laughs> You know, someone who should still be tracked down and punished. I think we you know, had to. I think all of us listen. have really bad memories about Qui Gon's noble end. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was like, like, oh my god, the soundtrack! It should be so innocent. Why did that ruin everything? <laughs> so hopefully, there's none of that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, chatting with us about all your projects and um, go Mets. We'll all be rooting for them tomorrow um where can we find you on the internet uh on the internet you can visit my tumblr which is jason fry's dorkery or <laughs> i think it's jason fry's.tumblr.com or something like that or um on uh twitter i'm jason c fry not jason fry who's a, a, <laughs> a, a 
charming UK uh, programmer who actually knows quite a bit about Star Wars, um, <laughs> but is is not me. Um, or you know, actually, honestly, I have uh, I have my author thread on the uh, Jedi Council lit forums, which. It's funny, people ask me, you know, why don't you do it and ask me anything on Reddit? I'm like, I kind of do. I already have one. Yes. Attack me, <laughs> and I generally respond if I can. So, uh, yeah, any or, or all the above, uh, come see me. Or uh, Actually, you know, one thing I'll, I'll throw out there, since we should, uh, I'm doing this really cool thing in Hartford on, what date is that? Yeah, I should plug this, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because I think it'll genu- <laughs> genuinely be incredibly cool. Yeah, on uh, on November 6th, I'm doing this Star Wars event uh, in Hartford for the Mark Twain house. Oh, very it's, cool. Yeah, it's really, really fabulous. It's going to be, I'm both a panelist and a moderator. It's, um, I'm doing this by memory, so I hope none of these people kill me if I leave somebody out. But it, it's me, uh, Timothy Zahn. Uh, Mike Stackpole, John uh, Ostrander, um, and Ryder Wyndham. And we're going to talk about you know, being Star Wars authors in, in various eras. So um, if you're anywhere within the uh, range of Hartford, come on out. I think it'll be an absolute blast. That sounds fun. I'm jealous I can't go. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a hike for you guys. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much for coming on, and um, we look forward to all of your uh, upcoming projects and hope we'll see a lot more from you soon. I'm sure we will. <laughs> I hope so, too. And, yeah, let's talk, in, uh, let's talk around New Year's and we can, uh, we can discuss Sounds... all the questions that I uh, couldn't really answer this time. I'll make a note. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks. Yeah, thank Bye. you. Awesome. We would like to thank Jason Fry for coming on the show again. I think that was his third appearance, so he's our leading. Yes. He's our leading. We uh, had him on the podcast, and then we interviewed him at Celebration, and now we have him on again. And we'll probably have him on uh, after The Force Awakens comes up, so we can pick him brain, pick his brain, and uh, ask him some questions of things he couldn't answer. So, yes, uh, we're going to go ahead and close out there. This episode of Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by Her Universe and you, our Patreon supporters. Check out the links on the blogs and help us keep the lights on. On Twitter, you can find us with the handles Tashi underscore station. That's the official show account. You can find Nancy with Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. On Facebook, we are the Tashi Station Network. We're available on the iTunes Store and Stitcher. And coming soon, the uh, Google android play marketplace thing that i just subscribed for today uh you can find our columns and news at tashi-station.net thanks for listening to another episode keep your eyes peeled we have an empire strikes back commentary coming up soon Woo-hoo! so long everyone This podcast has been brought to you by Majestic Draft Productions and is the official podcast of TashiStation.net. All Star Wars names, music, and logos are property of their respective trademark and copyright holders. Tashi Station Radio is not endorsed by Lucasfilm or any division of the company. Now go pick up some power converters. Oh, 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 oh